general psychology students, this is Mrs. Roseman, and this brief audio message is just designed to give you some feedback after completing chapter one. Usually I'll aim to post this a little earlier in the week, but um, as you noticed, you had some, um, some additional, some lengthy assignments that required um, some extra time to grade this week. Just a quick reminder, make sure you read through the announcement about um, how each of your assignments are graded, um, for example, Ed Puzzle videos. Um, and then really pay attention to um, getting started on those habits of um, checking your quiz grades, um, reviewing your progress, checking your learning activities, any points missed, and just um, being that, that, that critical and reflective learner, right? Making notes for yourself um, of any topic you need to go back and review. So, just to get started, um, y'all did a wonderful job starting out with a learning activity, exploring the idea of nature and nurture. Of course, um, both are genetics, um, what we come pre-equipped or biologically programmed with, um, also interact with our environment. Um, not just the environment out there in the real world, right? Um, what we eat, what we breathe, the social interactions we have. Um, and at its essence, when we're talking about nature, we do talk about genetics and we're talking about nurture. We talk about learning and environmental influences. But as you'll learn in chapter four at the end of the first unit, nature and nurture, of course, act together. And in fact, environmental factors, um, something like stress or exercise, can actually change um, in the expression of genes. So not the genes themselves, not the DNA itself, um, but whether or not um, that gene is turned on or off. And um, that's really, really important. So we'll kind of dive into that, into that deeper topic. So don't forget um, that everything you learned in chapter one, including themes like nature and nurture work together, um, you'll see throughout the course. And the second question, um, many of you explored lots of different subfields of psychology. Indeed, when it comes to driving and distracted driving, um, which there were some great examples in chapter one, cognitive psychology, um, a cognitive psychologist may be best suited to explore um, attention and driving skills within an experimental setting. Um, do make sure you take some time just kind of looking through those different subfields. This week, we're in chapter two, so we're studying biological psychology, and we're really diving deep into the brain and the nervous system and how that brain activity underlies everything we think, feel, and do. So remember that psychologists study um, so many different aspects of the human experience, and psychology at its essence is the scientific study of the behaviors, the observable actions, and thoughts and feelings that underlie them. All the time we are looking for patterns, we are using different types of methods, um, and really um, at its outset I hope each of you will find um, a particular topic and subfield of psychology that you relate to most. Um, a quick note here, um, an area where folks um, missed some points was on really um, a critical thinking question where you were to consider um, a mental health condition um, like depression or anxiety and consider the ways in which um, a psychologist from each of the different perspectives, what would they focus on? Um, how do they think 
uh, or what do they think is really, really important for the development of something like mental health. So for example, um, many of you refer to, uh, for humanism, you referred to um, self-acceptance and acceptance within the parent-child relationship. Um, perhaps you said some of that had been blocked in some way and was um, causing some, some mental health issues. Um, within your learning activity, there is a great sample answer that goes with each of the different perspectives. So if you're still having trouble thinking about um, these different theories, I want you to just remember that each psychologist focused on a different aspect of the human experience that they really thought was influential for development, right? Um, for how we become um, the unique individuals that we do. Last um, but not least, certainly, um, be sure that you spend some time um, looking through the feedback around research methods. Um, I gave you um, kind of a silly but a fun classroom example of an experimental design um, testing a newer type of uh, teaching method that is um, active learning and um, maybe some active discussions, as opposed to more of a traditional lecture style, um, teaching style. And in this setting, um, at its outset, um, the experimental group uh, were the participants who um, received the teaching style that was more active, um, the one that you wanted to put to the test, and the control group, um, the more traditional style that we wanted to compare that active method to. Um, many of you um, also went on to correctly identify the independent and dependent variable. The independent variable is that overall factor that's being put to the test. Um, in this experimental design, it was the type of teaching method, whereas um, the dependent variable is whatever outcome you, th you think directly depends or is changed by, right? directly causes a change uh, from that independent variable. So for example, you hypothesize or guess in this case that the teaching method would directly cause a change or an improvement in this case for active learning in test scores. Test scores or um, learning as measured by test scores was your dependent variable. Um, as you're looking through and just talking through experimental and control groups, um, independent and dependent variables, um, don't hesitate to reach out to come see me during office hours with questions. These um, research methods and design um, can be a challenging topic if you haven't had exposure to it in previous courses. Um, but it will really help you understand everything that we do, including um, many of the applications. Um, and the, um, the kind of articles that we will discuss and explore um, throughout the course. I did want to make a special note too. Many of y'all did a great job identifying um, some pieces of this experiment that were not so ethical, um, just noting um, all kinds of important ideas around informed consent. Um, you also noted that it would be really important to expand the sample size if possible um, to test across multiple 
um, instructors. Um, you noted confounds that were possible. And many of you also correctly noted that random assignment to the experimental and control groups would help to reduce or minimize any confounds um, or any variables that would systematically differ between the groups other than the independent variable. Keep in mind that experimental designs, they have to be so tightly controlled that they can speak to cause and effect. But the big drawback is oftentimes, um, because of that tight level of control, they don't mimic natural um, settings or realistic settings very well. For example, the classroom setting um, from your learning activity. Do spend a lot of time just making sure you understand the difference um, here and just kind of committing to that idea that experimental designs only can um, show us about cause and effect. Um, correlational designs can show us relationships exist, but we don't know anything about um, causal relationships between two factors, right, such as uh, teaching style and student outcomes. All right. I think that about wraps it up. Um, I just want to encourage you again to um, reach out to me with any questions and let me know um, what would be helpful to you as you progress in this course. Enjoy studying the brain this week.